0: This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Uh, My name is Gabe Coyle. I'm the campus pastor here at Christ Communities downtown campus. And if you are new with us, then you would be good to know for you to know, it'd be really good for you to know that we have one church, but in five locations across the Kansas City metro area. And here's the deal, whether a church has multiple campuses or one campus, whether it's a church of 50, a church of 500, a church of 5,000, one thing is kind of a constant and it's a little annoying, Um, it's that the church is weird, isn't it? I mean, you know it, I know it, so let's just own it. The, The reality is the church as an organism or an organization, it's unlike any other movement, any other institution in our lives. And at times I've really struggled with this. Like, how does the church fit in all of this? When I was in college, I was a part of a music traveling team, and we went throughout the Midwest uh, to different churches, and we would help bring a respite to pastors and Sunday morning volunteers by either leading part or even the whole worship gathering. And uh, the name of this team that that, that would travel around the Midwest, get ready for it, it was HeartSong. HeartSong. You know, with a name like that, you'd think we would look a little bit like this. But in reality, since people like me were a part of that team, more often than not, we looked like this. And the reality is, on more than one occasion, man, if I just had a dollar for every time we were introduced as heartthrob, like, can you, like, introducing this morning, heartthrob, it's heart song, come on. Anyway, (laughs) a little pent-up aggression. During that time, you know, I saw a lot of churches. I saw behind the doors of a lot of churches. I saw things most people don't see. Pastors venting to me over the the coffee table. Congregants venting to me over the coffee table. And the frustrations and the fights. And I mean, no lie, I remember one night, it was a Saturday night, we were coming to set up our electric drum set. So we didn't have like the the full kit. It was electric, so you could keep it really quiet, right? Right. And we're setting it up, and someone came to us and quoted chapter, verse, like some proof text on how the, de- the devil is the one who invented the drums. And then, uh, but the bongos, those have been sanctified by the Lord, so set up the bongos and get those things off the stage, you know? And another situation, no light, we're up there, we're leading, we're, we're doing the whole Sunday morning gathering, and then the youth p- pastor comes up in the middle of the service randomly and resigns. <laughs> yeah. I remember I was standing on my guitar and I was like, oh, you know, and then the senior pastor's jaw literally just drops to the ground. People are crying in the back row. I'm looking at the team like, what are we going to do? You know? And on and on these stories go of just like outlandish things, okay? And I've really struggled. There are just these moments where you ask yourself, why the church? Right? Why? I mean, are we doing anything that's worthwhile? Are we bringing about any sort of sustaining change? And. Chances are really good you've asked yourself that question. Um, even if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, chances are also really good that at some point in your life you've had a really bad experience with a local church somewhere. And there's this rising angst. You know, I was reading the New York Times this last Sunday, and there was an article in there which the title just grabbed me. It said, What religion would Jesus belong to? Good question, right? And in it, they highlight the struggle within the church, especially amongst young adults that's continuing to rise. And listen to what the article reports. The West has rapidly become more secular with the nuns, the religiously non-affiliated, including atheists, as well as those who feel spiritual but don't identify with a particular religion, accounting for almost one-fourth of Americans today. The share is rising quickly among millennials, more than one-third are nuns. Not N-U-N, of course. N-O-N-E-S. That would be a different situation altogether, wouldn't it? Uh, (laughs) Also, just as terrifying. But um, more than one-third. More than one-third. And if that's true, man, I was thinking, if that's true, what role does the church play in society today? If any. And if I can think that as a pastor, I mean, I've dedicated seven years of education, four years of undergrad with biblical studies, three years in seminary after that to get my Master of Divinity because I believe that the local church has a crucial role to play in God's work in the world and I want to be a part of equipping, specifically in my own calling to be a part of this, but what do we do with the local church? And if I have my, if I have my doubts, I know you wrestle with them too. When that alarm goes off on Sunday morning, And thou mayest is calling with really good coffee. It's not as good as Gary's, but it's still really good. And you just want some quiet time. Or when your budget begins to shrink and you're looking for that first place to cut. Or you know you're up for volunteering and you just want to step back for a bit. Is this worth it? Right? These are the kinds of questions. Undergirding all of that is the question, is this church, is the church, is the local church worth it? And so over these next three weeks, I know this is a tension we wrestle with, each and every one of us we're going to look at the big why behind the church. We're going to seek to remember who we are, why we are who we are, and and what's the significance behind what we do when we're together. Like, why do we do this thing at all? Why is it worth it for you and me to fight to be here on a Sunday morning rather than being solo or even just being a family by itself rather than a family of families? Because listen, every organization, every movement, across the globe, has started because there was a big why that got them going. But the great organizations, the great movements, the ones that bring about the sustaining change are the ones that come back to this big why consistently and clearly year after year after year to remember why we're even doing this, why we're here. And listen, the good news is that we're not the first church to have wrestled with this big why to forget the big why, to to question the big why. Actually, a church in the first century, super proximate to the resurrection of Jesus, the church of Ephesus was wrestling with this big why. And the apostle Paul, when he helps them, when he helps the church in Ephesus in the first century, he actually helps every church thereafter for the past 2,000 years to remember why, why the church, why the church. And you know what it is? You know what keeps me coming back week after week? You know, I, I was wrestling in this passage this week. But, but hear, hear me, why do, we, why do we come back week after week? What, what is the purpose of the church? Why, why do we even, why do we do this? I think we find the first initial spark in the answering our, our question in the Apostle Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church in Ephesians chapter one, verses 18 and 19, where he says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what's the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? Do you see that? There's hope here. There's hope here. When the rest of the world starts crying out, especially with some of the certain, you know, relevant issues in the news today. When the world is crying out that the sky is falling, so you might as well hold on to despair because that makes us really good consumers. There's hope here. When the rest of the world might even say, eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow we may die or this nation may crumble or this world is going to hell in a handbasket, what do we say? At the very center of this institution called the local church, there's hope. Not cynicism, not a naive optimism, but hope. And it's passages like this that inform this audacious belief that that we pound the table with excitement here at Christ Community, that the local church, as God designed it, really is the hope of the world. Why? Because she's the bearer of that hope. When all these other institutions are founded for various good reasons, the church has its very foundation, hope. Hope. And over these next three weeks, we're going to tease out what this hope actually means. How it's hope for me, how it's hope for us, and how it's hope for all. That's the next three weeks, okay? That's the big picture. And if you're tired, if you're worn out with the church, if you're frustrated with the church, if you're jaded with the church, there's hope here. And we've got to remember. We've got to remember. And so to kick things off this morning um, in this series, we're going to begin by looking at how this hope is really personal cuz listen if it doesn't impact you and yours and my life individually i mean what's the point there's hope here for me for you not just for the world not just for our neighbor but for each and every one of you seated in these chairs this morning there's hope for you and for me today okay and this hope you know you heard the passage being read this is a hope that is more honest It's more hopeful, and it's word that that it brings to us than anything else this world has to offer. There's hope here, and this is why. This is what we're going to focus in on this morning specifically. In light of this broader hope, there's hope here because the church has the best story. The church has the best story. It's a story that's anchored in reality, and it's a story that knows you, like really knows you. It's a story that resurrects you, and it's actually a story that includes, of all people, you and me. And a mission that is so much bigger than you and me. That's our roadmap for this morning. The church has the best story because it knows you, it resurrects you, and it includes the likes of you and especially, surprisingly, me and something so much bigger than you and me. Um, And that's the hope we're offered. So if you wouldn't mind, would you please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to walk through these 10 verses together. And look with me here, beginning in verse 1, at what the Apostle Paul writes. I mean, his, ver- his words just sound so hopeful, don't they? And you were dead. <laughs> no, they don't sound hopeful at first. Let's, let's keep going. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. What we see first here is that the church has the story that knows you. In order to really know someone, the more you get to know someone, you, you not only understand where they're from, but you understand what they've come through, right? And all of these verbs in the first three verses are in the past tense they're the past tense. This is who you were. If you're a follower of Jesus and you proclaim Christ as Lord and Savior, this is who you were. This no longer defines you. And when we look at the story of our lives before Jesus, we were dead. Not on life support, not with cancer, with the chance of one out of 10 surviving if you changed your diet and you got the right chemo. Just dead. If you look across the pages of scripture, there is a unified understanding that life, like really living, it only comes in relationship with the author of life, God himself. That's where life is found. And when we chose a life apart from God, our sin, which is missing the mark of God's perfect design, it actually created a barrier between the author of life and ourselves. And so we found ourselves choosing death. And as dead people, we did what dead people do. Like we chose things that taste like death, smell like death, look like death because we were dead. And to make matters worse, Paul says this wasn't by chance. This wasn't an accident. I mean, what does he say? You followed what? The course of this world. There's there's a way in which this world is now perverted in its design that it ensures you stay stuck in this death. Do you get that? Like a dictator who promises freedom but as soon as he's given power just comes down with the hammer of even greater oppression. Satan has been leading the rebellion against God's good design all the way from the beginning and he's been promising life but then offering death upon death upon death. And he's designed now in his perversion of a broken world where he is the prince of the power of the air to actually create or actually distort God's good world in such a way that we find ourselves trapped in death. One commentator puts it this way, there's a dark kind of genius inherent in the present evil age that ensures we walk in death, cut off from the life of God. And in this distorted world, a world that God never intended even your imagination for what is possible, do you see this, is full of broken categories so that when we choose our own remedy, we actually further death. Because our imaginations in the course of this broken world that have actually been perverted by Satan, the best of all possible choices we can choose actually further death still. So let's, let's recap and let's get to some total of this picture. We're dead. We choose things that speed up our decomposition and fragment every parcel of our lives. This whole course of life has been perverted by someone who wants our death, such that even our categories for remedy further death. And all this puts us then in direct opposition to God. We are by nature now. This very nature is in opposition to God. This is who we were. And if you don't know Jesus, this is still who some of you are. This is why we have problems in the church is when we forget who we were. Because for some reason... We think we were OK, and in some reason we think we've earned our spot here. And so arrogance and judgmentalism, they creep in the back door and they begin to fragment relationships. when we don't remember that we were all dead, that this is a story that defines each and every one of us. It begins to destroy the church. We were dead. So Gabe, I thought this was a sermon about hope. You know, like what gives? <laughs> Hang with me. Listen, brutal honesty is a friend of hope, is it not? Never a foe. Because listen, if, unless we're honest about our pain and our frustrations, we'll never trust authentic hope when it shows up. When the Apostle Paul, and he paints a very picture here about the story that defines our pain and our frustration and the brokenness and actually begins to make sense of why our lives are the way they were, it gives us hope, hope that if, if he won't sugarcoat the problem, then he won't embellish the solution. And actually this hope becomes really trustworthy. And that gives us hope, even in the darkest of moments when we look back at who we were. And this is where Paul breaks in with two of the greatest words, I think, in all of Scripture. When you get to verse 4, the Apostle Paul then breaks in, but God. You know, you could tell any story at any point in your life and then you put that transition in it, suddenly the imaginative capacity for what could be opens to the sky, doesn't it? Like, God could do anything, but God, he broke in. He's about to do something in the midst of even the most dire of situations, but God. Whatever you're going through today, but God. And then it goes on. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, what did he do? Did he write us off? No, he made us alive together in Christ or with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And then he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The church has the best story, doesn't it? And it's not only that the church knows and has a story that knows you, but the church has the story that resurrects you. You see this? God overflowing with mercy, a God that's just abounding, like super abounding with love, out of that love, he sees us dead and he doesn't just let us unravel, but he breaks in. He breaks in. And in the famous words of Rihanna, <laughs> I figured that could get you back in. We found hope in a, our love in a hopeless place, right? But actually the more accurate statement is love has found us. Not because we proved ourselves to be better, not because we finally proved that we were worthwhile, not because we started to be nicer all of a sudden and God said, okay, I'll give you, I'll throw you a bone. No. In the midst of all this, when we were dead, when we were nothing, when we were actually in the opposition of his good design, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he takes all of that death upon himself on the death on the cross, and what does he give us in return? Life. It's like the worst exchange ever. For Jesus, not for us. And somehow right now, if you've received this, yeah, we're, 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 work, we're working our way out and working our faith out here on earth, but simultaneously you are unspeakably secure in Christ. Somehow you are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Like, do you get that? There's nothing that can shake that. And why does all this happen? And if Paul wasn't clear enough, he just comes right out and says it. Grace, all grace, just grace Undeserved, unexplainable good for no other reason but because of the unexplainable goodness of God. You have been saved, you have been redeemed, you have been made alive, not because you're impressive, but because God is. Like God is that impressive. And it doesn't even stop there. What what you know, this is where I start to think, okay, what's the catch, right? Like, what's God's plan after he's given us all this grace? What does he want to do with us? Look at verse 7. So that, whenever you see so that, you're starting to see the reason, the why. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. So that no one may boast. He's resurrected us by grace just to give us more grace. Like an eternity of delight. That's who God is. It's not in any fine print. There's no catch. It's just because he's that good and it feels so foreign because so much of life doesn't feel that way. But that's who he is. And if that doesn't simultaneously shut our mouths from any sort of arrogance, but simultaneously open our mouths to great praise, I don't know what will. And that's what the Apostle Paul is doing here. He's telling us the story of who we are. And you know, all this is available sola fide, through faith alone, right? When you put all that dead weight (laughs) on Christ and his finished work and his life, his death, his resurrection, it's available to you. And this is why there's hope here. The church has the story that resurrects you every week you come through those doors. This is the story we return to. This is the story we seek to tease out. This is the story that comes to define us, that we can't figure out on our own, that we need other people in our lives who are following Jesus, that we need to sit underneath the tutelage of God's word to continue to expand our hearts and imaginations, where our weary hearts are reminded of grace, where our dull hearts are trained once again to trust and where our waned hope is reassured. This is why there's hope here. And maybe you've been coming for a while and maybe, you know, you've been a part of the church your whole life or at least for a significant part of your life and you're asking, why church? Why should this be a part of my weekly rhythm or maybe even community? Like, why do any of this? And you've forgotten that there's hope here. You've forgotten the story that's been entrusted uniquely to the people of God, the church. This morning I want to introduce you to Kristen. Kristen attends our Aletha campus, but it wasn't always so. She wasn't engaged in church, and by God's grace, someone invited her. And she heard this story. She heard hope. So let's watch and learn. <laughs>
2: I didn't go to church a lot as a kid. It was just my mother who went to church on occasion, um, but she always believed in Jesus, would always pray with us. So I did believe in Him, um, but I didn't know what it meant to truly believe in Him and to follow Him. On November 3rd, 2015, my two-month-old father uh, went to work and decided he wasn't going to come home. I wanted to lay in bed till I died I didn't know what to do I had no job Um, was gonna be a stay-at-home mom I just I just reached a point of knowing that everything I ever did in my life to make me feel happy or have this wonderful life was so wrong my family came to me my brother especially and said why don't you just come to church with us today So I came, I I think I might have even been in my sweat still. And uh, I just came and I just cried, (laughs) the whole service. But it wasn't until this where I, I had nowhere else to go that I realized what it really meant to surrender everything else and really listen and know that His way is better. He saved me in that moment of not only a place to live, but of an actual hope that I can do this. Um, I know it was a one-time help, but it, it changed everything. It, it, it flipped a coin for me that said that I could do this. And, um, and I've been here since. I found hope at Christ Community just because with everything around me that seemed so horrible and scary and different, I I wasn't scared. I didn't know what a happy life would look like, but I knew what it felt like. Um, One of the things that I found here at Christ Community is that I look forward to it, um, that it brings me back down to earth, and even though I've had a crazy week or sometimes even a crazy morning before I got here, as soon as I get here, a lot of times whatever is being preached on that day is what exactly I was going through. And especially in the beginning, it seemed like every single week, something I was pondering or thinking about, the answer was kind of shoved in my face. And I figured if I'm gonna do anything with my life, I've got to learn to follow and listen and not try to fix it myself. Church is a place to be yourself. Church is a place to find help. Church is a place to find someone to help. I'm just so thankful for this church. It gives me hope.
1: That story, I've watched it a lot this week um, in preparing and preparing, but it always just gives me so much hope. To see how the gospel is really impacting people. Because the church, listen, and and I want you to know, look, if if you're new, this can sound really self-promotion-y. It's like, what's all this talk of Christ community? That's not the point. Okay, We, we know Christ's community is not the only faithful church or seeking to be the fa- only faithful church in the Kansas City metro. There's a lot of great things happening, but we think that God's doing something really special here and he's entrusted us with this word of hope and we long to proclaim it from the rooftops because anything less than that is just a poor stewardship of the, good, the goodness of the gospel he's called us to proclaim. And to be quiet just feels like a disservice. And when you see that, when I see that, my God, like, oh, the church is worth it. Because God's working through his people. The church has been entrusted with this hope. Not just one person. God does work through one, not just one family. God does work with through one family, but he does something unique through the church gathered together, a family of families that brings plausibility to that hope, that it really can change community, not just an individual who might be really weird off by themselves. Like, there's something beautiful about the church. There's hope here for you and me, and and it comes in the most unusual of ways in the story, the best story, a story that knows you, a story that resurrects you, and if that wasn't enough, it's a story that includes you, it includes me. This is why the Apostle Paul says then in verse 10, for we together are his workmanship, this Work of art created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Together we've been made something wholly new with a whole new framework of what is good, a whole new course. Did you see this? It's a whole new course. In opposition to the course of the world, there's a whole new pathway that God has now designed and laid out. And by the power of the Spirit working within us, we're called to actually good works rather than death. And we have a whole new imagination for what's possible. Not just imagination with broken categories, but imagination for what's possible with God's presence in our lives. And I start to finally understand what the Apostle Paul means later in this letter in Ephesians chapter three, verse 20, when he's talking about what God is doing and who God is, he says, now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within him within us. To him be glory, Where? in the bearers of this hope, in the church, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Man, I want to give my life to that. I need that message. There really is hope here. And as I started to say at the beginning, I was weeping through writing this message because I really needed this. I don't know about you, but I was just weeping, remembering where I've been Looking at what is now possible, what God has done in my life, and what He's done in this group of believers, and that He includes people like you and me to be a part of this. And they were not tears of sadness, they were tears of joy and hope. God calls you and me to hope. That's the center of the gospel, it runs deeper than anything else. Hope. And my prayer is that we join with Paul's prayer, that we would have our hearts enlightened and that we'd come to understand this hope, this hope. And I ask myself a question, a question I really want you to ask this morning of yourself. Are you embracing this hope for yourself? Not just have you embraced it at one point in time, but are you living in light of that hope today? Like, are you embracing this hope for yourself. And listen this morning, if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, you look at verses one through three and you say, that's where I'm at. Then this morning, now's the time to let God do the work in you that he has said he will do. He will make you alive. If you're dead and you're swimming in a pool of death, all you have to do is begin the conversation with him. He's already taken the initiative. He's already sent his son who lived, died, and rose again for you. And now what we do is we respond to that in prayer by saying, I am dead without you. I need you to forgive me, to make me alive. And Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was sufficient for me. That's all it takes. Step one. But I think for the majority of you this morning, you've been in the church for for a while and You're asking, why church? You may not ask it every week, but there come those moments where you you think, you know what, I'm going to step back. I've been doing this for a while, but I just, and you're getting jaded and maybe you're worn out and you're frustrated. I get it. Vision, it fades. Hope, it leaks. And it's not going to be some new innovative program that's going to stir this hope again. You know what it is? The church has the best story. And it's returning to this story again and again and again and surrounding yourself with people who point yourself, point you to this story again and again. And now you have to ask yourself, are you willing to embrace this hope for yourself, to live in light? Because why live in despair any longer? You know what will happen if you embrace this hope or you're living in light of this hope? When you look at the past, even wounds even brokenness, you'll look back in gratitude. You won't find yourself living in the wounds of the past. Because what does the Apostle Paul do? He, what does he say? He, he brings up these three verses at the beginning and tells us of this terrible picture of what was. And he doesn't do it to then shove it in our face and disturb bitterness. How could God let that happen? He doesn't do it to make us angry. How, how dare they let that happen? He does it to stir Gratitude. Remember where you were because this should stir gratitude for where you are. And then when you've experienced God's grace and you're embracing this hope and you look forward, it'll actually stir an unspeakable humility in your life. An unbelievable humility. Because you'll know that you came to follow Jesus not because you were smarter than anyone else. You're carrying out good works and maybe you have a better life than other people. But it's not because you're a better person. It's because God actually broken. Do you see this? He's the one who's laid out those good works, and you walked in them. He laid them out, though. So there's no room for boasting. It's humility. And then at the end of the day, you have a whole new imagination for what's possible, because God broke in. If he's done this, if he's brought me from death to life, even now, how much more can he do? How much more can he do? And that marriage that's on the brink of failure, and that community that seems absolutely broken, and without jobs, and without relationships, and your own battle with those destructive habits, there's a whole new imagination for what's possible. There's hope here. Hope for you, hope for me. And that's because the church has the best story, a story that knows you even better than you know yourself. It resurrects you, and it includes you in a mission bigger than you. Are you embracing that hope for yourself? Don't choose despair another day, Okay? Let's pray. God, I, I, as I was writing, I, I need this message. As I was reading from the Apostle Paul, I want to understand the hope of Christ, life, death, and resurrection, and how that hope just has unbelievable implications for my own story, for each and every one of the stories that are seated in this room this morning. God, this is why we gather, because not to puff ourselves up, but to hold fast to the hope that so easily wanes throughout the rest of our days and weeks. God, we need your hope. We need to remember how the church is the bearer of that hope. So God, help us. May we see that hope. May we embrace it for ourselves. And so may it invigorate a greater gratitude, humility, and imagination for what you're doing in the world. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, our hope, amen.